This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo, to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Saul Monali, at Saul Monali NBA on Twitter. Here joined by Forrest Walker, at Do Nots on Twitter. How you doing, man? Ah, I'm hanging in there. I think we're all hanging in there. Yeah, uh, this planet has definitely seen better days. This country has definitely seen better days, but it is what it is. We are in the situation we are. I figure today we finish up our NBA Rockets Rewind series and we talk about the restart plan for the NBA in Orlando and then we call it a day and then we wrap it up. We go home on a high note. How do you feel about that? That's a good plan. I think we should do both those things and I want to help you do them. Yes. Um, so the NBA, as I said, they released their comprehensive restart plan for their bubble environment in Orlando. Uh, there are a lot of details here, so and we don't really have too much time to get into all of it, but let's keep it broad. First, when I read the plan, I thought there was it was pretty stringent. And my main gripe was that there was 22 teams participating instead of 16 to 20. Um, other than that, like I thought, you know, if if the NBA can keep all these players to stick to these rules, which is really the big thing. If, if they can stay disciplined in, in all this, in the enforcement of these rules, it's a good plan. It's pretty comprehensive. Like, if you're going to do this, this is the way to do this. Um, what did you think of the plan? Did anything stick out to you? Obviously, you're not a doctor, but from someone who's <laughs> done as much reading about COVID-19 as I have, uh, do you think the NBA is enough to ensure a safe environment? Uh, in a word, no, but, uh, to expound upon that, there's really nothing they could do. Sure. Yeah. Okay. In that that sense, I agree with you. Yeah. Like the, the reality is that almost certainly someone is going to have it or bring it in. Something's going like it's such a long period of time with so many people that it's quite likely that something will happen eventually. And then we're going to see the, you know, what, what happens when the rubber meets the road on this planet at that point. Though, uh, you know, I've uh, when this when this plan was first announced and it's like less concrete stage a while ago, uh, I definitely was making sure to say that it looked like the NBA would probably be back because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, my, my watchword right now is that nothing is ever certain. So it it looks like they're going to be playing some games fairly soon. But, you know, something can always happen. 
there, there you, nothing is ever certain in this world, especially not lately. Well, it's been voted on, so uh, it it would take a lot at this point for it not to happen. But it is one of those things where, like, there's almost nothing you could do to prevent COVID nineteen from completely enter- entering that. But it's on. It's eighteen hundred people. You just can't. Like, there, there's twenty two teams there. There's there's you're gonna get at least one or two cases, and that's the bare minimum. You're gonna get some people that test positive for COVID nineteen. But as far as the precautions they've taken, uh, I, I think they're pretty good. I mean, like, they, and they, they've gotten pretty creative with the technology there. They have these rings that kind of detect temperature and heart rate and, and tell you how likely it is that you you have contracted COVID-19. Uh, they have these daily swabs um, for uh, testing. Uh, they uh, have all these uh, quarantine protocols uh, once you do uh, test positive for COVID-19. Uh, it's... It's pretty expansive, but again, uh, with as with as with anything you try with this many people, it's impossible to to get it down to a zero percent like likelihood. You're someone's going to contract it. Uh, how they handle it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and the the rising rates in Florida are definitely reason for pause as well. And this is, of course, we've said nothing about the other concerns uh, that are not even the the viral concerns that uh, that some members of the NBA have been bringing up about this as well. So let's talk about this. Um, a significant faction of players expressed concern with the NBA's return plan this week, and that faction was apparently uh, led by Kyrie Irving. Now, let me be clear. There are plenty of valid reasons one might not want to go to Orlando. There's lots of social unrest, and a lot of these players want to engage in civil activism. There's the COVID concerns, and there's also the possibility that some of these players just don't want to be sequestered for another three months. All reasonable concerns. My problem is that there couldn't have been a worse messenger for these issues than Kyrie Irving. The message always gets jumbled with Kyrie. It's (laughs) It's never clear. What, what he's trying to express. So let me just read a few of these quotes from Kyrie and I'll, I'll get your reaction. Quote, I don't support going to into Orlando. I'm not with the systematic racism and the bull****. Something smells a little fishy. Next quote. I'm willing to give everything up I have for social reform. Next quote. There's only 20 guys actually getting paid and I'm part of that. Let's not pretend that there's not a tiered system purposely to divide all of us. What in the hell is he talking about? Like, this is always my issue with Kyrie. I never understand what the hell he's talking about or what or what message he's trying to push across. Yeah, I mean, I feel like other players have expressed uh, the concerns that presumably he's expressing a lot more clearly. Uh, but right. Avery Bradley feels- has done it. Had done a pretty good job with with his statements. It's just always with. It's always Kyrie. Like, I I never understand. Like. So we've all met someone like Kyrie. We've all encountered these guys. Like, like <laughs> when I was in college, I encountered so many people like this. Right, uh, like guys who like when once you hear them, like they sound like they know a lot, but in, in general, they're just saying a lot of stuff. There's not really a lot of clear message ingrained in the stuff. And th- this is always my issue. Like w- with the flat Earth stuff, with all the conspiracy theories with Kyrie, it- it's always. The message is always jumbled. It's never clear. It's never direct. I never know what he's saying. It's kind of like Kanye West in that way. Like I, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, he, uh, the the things that Kyrie is concerned about are, as you say, never entirely clear. I mean, he, 
I'm not going to say too much about Kyrie, but I will say that you're right that he uh, he says confusing things, uh, and he does seem to always want to be a mouthpiece for everything. Uh, that aside, I do think these concerns are quite valid, yeah. uh, and I think that they should be listened to. Uh, I, but like you said, it, there are a lot, there are other voices, like you said, Avery Bradley, primary primary among them, that are better to listen to than Kyrie, who. Bless him, he is trying, uh, <laughs> and he's definitely making noise, so that's good, I guess. But uh, yeah, it, it, the, the things he says seldom uh, are easy to translate. Like, I'm willing to give up everything I have for social reform. Like, what is he ta- like? The NBA is not asking him to like. like you're not allowed if you don't want to go. You don't have to go. Uh, and, and and please don't go if you really do want to engage in, in civil activism. Go ahead. Like, it's it's a perfectly valid reason to skip this if you're if you're afraid about covid please don't skip like don't go to this thing like like no one is saying you have to go to this thing and i'm not even saying i'm 100 okay with the nba coming back i'm just saying i don't know what you're saying <laughs> like that that's <laughs> that's what i'm saying there are actual valid reasons not to go and when Kyrie is is your front man all that stuff gets gets pushed to the side and, and we're forced to focus on Kyrie instead of what's coming out yeah, and I do want to say related to this very, very clearly that uh, I, any players or any staff who don't wish to go to this for any reason, none of us should none of us should think poorly about them or judge them for it because that's completely fair. Like I, I think hopefully people won't be doing that, but like we should all understand that there are a lot of incredibly good and valid reasons like to sit out of this and we shouldn't judge anybody for what they need to do to take care of themselves and to and to take care of the causes they care about right now yeah uh that that was my only issue it's just just, i just get get a better front man than Kyrie. that's it like like, if you're gonna do this i mean if, if you're gonna have someone be the leader of a very very valid uh you know point of concern with the players please choose someone uh, to express your message better than Kyrie does. Um, whatever. I mean, the, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, so, the last game of the Rockets Rewind series, I'm very excited about this. This is the game that was most suggested when I asked people what their favorite games of the decade were uh, three, three months ago. This game was highly requested. Uh, this was a favorite among Rockets fans. And it's, it's crazy. It's only been uh, a year and a half since the game in question January 3rd 2019 Rockets at Warriors now let me explain why I consider this to be the best Rockets game of the decade first uh it's against the best team of the decade and second of all nobody expected the Rockets to win this game there's no Chris Paul no Eric Gordon Austin Rivers has just gotten signed in December 24th so essentially a week before this game barely had any time to get acclimated with the team so it's basically James Harden on an island against one of the greatest teams of all time at full health on their home floor. Before we get into the nitty gritty of this game, Forrest, what what do you think of my assessment of this game? Am I being too hyperbolic about it? Does it have a solid case for the number one spot? Uh, I think it is a contender for it. Uh, I don't my purse for my personal taste. I probably wouldn't put it at the number one spot uh, because I I veer more towards liking total shellackings and beatdowns, which I know is like boring from an objective bas- basketball standpoint. But uh, 
the greatest Rockets games are the ones where they do everything right and just like crush everybody. But uh, this is was truly one of the most exciting games, and I think one of the strongest elements of it in that contendership is that it was the capstone of a season series against the Warriors that kind of made this moment. Like this might have been the high, like th- this is this is this might have been a high water point for that season, right? Like this was extremely gratifying to see them go up two one on the Warriors in this season when they really had no right to, uh, and show that they they were right there with them, right? This was this was this was a moment when Rockets fans were uh, getting back some of their their mojo, I guess, <laughs> when the Rockets looked like they were ready to ready to contend again. Uh, they'd shaken off some weird. Uh, uh, some some weird parts earlier in the season, and were uh, they were ready to roll, and they were they took it to a full strength Warriors, uh, and it was it was really exciting. I mean, it was a game that you could not have asked for anything more from, honestly, in terms of competitiveness or in terms of like a thrilling outcome. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code Blue Wire for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, all caps, Blue Wire. Bet online, your online wagering experts. 100%. And, um, I mean, the, the, what we're really talking about is a, a Rockets team that had just started to get, uh, as you said, its mojo back. Uh, it started from that Miami game where Chris Paul got hurt, and it continued with James Harden just going bananas for the next couple months. And, uh, this was a game. I, I got. I'm gonna be honest. I never at any point in this game thought the Rockets were gonna win. Never. I, I, at no point. At, at, at no. At no point in time did I think the Rockets were gonna win this game. And we're gonna get into uh, how much I doubted them as we go through this game. I have, I'm gonna have a moment of honesty here. Uh, I was not assigned to write about this game, so I was basically free that night, and I was watching that that game at home in Houston. So I told a group of friends who had been asking me to go have dinner that I didn't expect this game to be close and I'll leave at halftime if it's looking like a blowout. Like I just told them, it look, look, if it's if it's not single digits by halftime, I'm out of here. Uh so the Warriors take a 47-33 lead with 7:56 left in left in third quarter. In my and in my head I'm thinking, okay, if this doesn't get to single digits by halftime, I'm I'm leaving. I I think it's safe to say this game's over and I'm going to leave my house. Uh, the score is 70-53 and I leave the house thinking it's over. I don't think people remember this. Harden was 4 for 13 from the field in that first half. He was a negative 12. He was having a terrible game. And it it, it didn't look like it was going to turn at any point. Uh, Did you think the game was over by that point, too? Or was I alone in that thinking? You know me. I think every game is over. (laughs) uh, I, I, I didn't have high expectations for it. I mean, like, I always know that anything can happen, but... With the Warriors in particular, we, we've just seen so much of them smashing people beneath their boot heel. And we've seen so much of the Rockets just like being unable to to hold on that it's easy to conclude that a Rockets game is over, especially this particular one. That's totally reasonable to think. Uh, of course, the main thing about the Rockets, though, we know is that they will always make you feel stupid no matter what you think. So in this case, they so made... Let's get to that. Let's get to that. So... 
I get to the restaurant. We order our food. I glance up at one of the TVs in the restaurant, and there's 753 left, and the Rockets have bribed to single digits, 80 to 72. In my head, I'm just like, you're shitting me. <laughs> like, I have had it. I, I, I was so pissed. Uh, by the way, here's something about me. It's very difficult for me to watch basketball games with other people. If I can avoid it, I will. I just can't focus on the game. I'm too distracted. I can't take notes on my phone like I usually do. So I'm just extremely frustrated at this point. And now I have to pay attention to this game. Um, and to really rub it in my face, Harden's just torching the Warriors. I mean, th- like that, that bad first half is just out the window. He's drilling jump shots on this Warriors team in this third quarter. He has 30, 13 points. And eight of those points came in the, in the last three minutes. He drives on Steph with three minutes to go, steps back for the mid-range, splash. Minute and a half to go, he's dancing with Klay Thompson on the perimeter, step back, splash. 33 seconds left, Harden catches a full-court inbounds pass, crosses over Klay again for three, splash. 92-98 to start the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, after, this is the thing Harden does though, right? We've seen this out of him before. His his two halves will oftentimes be, could not be more different. And this is one of the glorious games where his he looks off in the first half and then, as you just laid out for us, he just completely went supernova and took over the game in the second half of the game. I like these ones a lot better than the ones where it goes the other way around, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Right, where where he starts the game off really hot and then he just disappears in the second half. Um, so I'm not sure if you caught this week sequence, but it's the it's the most Gerald Green play of all time. So Brandon Knight drives and kicks to Gerald Green, who's open for three. Gerald passes up the open shot, pump fakes into a contested three over Draymond Green, splash. Like just the most <laughs> Gerald Green shot you can construct, right? But wait, it gets better because on the very next play. Draymond demands the ball in the post. Now Gerald's guarding him. Draymond fades away for a really bad mid-range jumper. Gerald fouls him, and Draymond makes the shot. So those three points that Gerald gave Houston are negated within the span of five seconds. Green-on-green violence. Like, just the most Gerald Green sequence I have ever seen in my entire life. I miss Gerald Green. (laughs) <laughs> I really do. Like this game remind this game in that sequence reminds me of how what a what a real like delight he was on the Rockets and I still I'm still holding out scant hope that maybe one day in future again but what what a magical player. Like what more could you possibly ask for? No, I mean he is he is beyond like again he passed up an open shot, pump faked into a contested shot. Like, normally it's the other way around. <laughs> You're contested. You pump fake into an open shot. He did it backwards, and it, it, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's why we all love Gerald Green. So now the Rockets and Warriors are just back and forth the next nine minutes. Really no drama. The Rockets look gassed, and James Harden just won't let them die. Uh, here's where it gets fun. 50 seconds left to go in the fourth quarter. The Rockets are down by three. James Harden's bringing the ball up. KD's defending him. He hits the step back three over KD to tie it up, 119-119. Uh, he tries that shot again at the end of the fourth quarter over Clay Thompson. No good. We get overtime. Do you want to hear a stupid stat? I love stupid stats. Please. So James Harden has 11 points in this overtime period. Do you want to know how many points the Rockets have as a team? How many? Tell me. 16. Austin, <laughs> Austin Rivers had the other five points. The Rockets had two players register made back as baskets in overtime. And yet... <laughs> That's that's so good. That's such a Rockets thing to do. 
<laughs> I just uh, and such a James Harden thing to do too. Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 really really compelling television. I mean Harden is just putting the team on his back. Um, so here's where it gets really dicey for the Rockets. The Rock, the Warriors have a one point lead with two twenty five remaining. Kevin Durant gets the rebound, brings the ball up, passes it to Steph in the corner, splash. Oracle Arena loses its mind. Draymond blocks Austin Rivers' layup attempt on the next play. And in my head, I'm like, okay, that's game. Let's get the waiter to bring us our checks. <laughs> As it turns out, the Warriors go scoreless for the next minute. The Rockets bring the lead back down to one. James Harden gets doubled up top, passes the ball to open and open Austin Rivers, who hits the three to give Houston a two-point lead with 126 left. Now, again, this is the Warriors. They have Hall of Famers all over the court. No lead in the history of my time watching the Warriors has ever felt safe. Kevin Durant proves it on the next play by hitting a tough fadeaway jumper over P.J. Tucker to tie it up. Uh, next play, James Harden misses a three. R- Warriors grab the rebound. Clay Thompson gets the ball in transition, lays it up. Warriors two-point lead with 40 seconds left. Harden draws the foul in the next possession, makes both free throws, and it's a tie game again. Like Again, it's this is what's so gr- brilliant about this game and, and why it's so compelling to watch it when you put it in the hierarchy of awesome James Harden games. He just won't let them die. Like there are so many moments in the game where they should have just went away. This is another one. Like like after that Clay Thompson layup, the war the Oracle Arena exploded and that's normally where most teams just die. The Rockets I mean Harden will not let the Rockets go away. He is the only ball handler on this team. Like Austin Rivers is doing a very minimal amount at this point. Like he's he's obviously doing some of the secondary ball handling, but again, it's mainly it's like ninety percent James Harden and ten percent Austin Rivers is getting it where he can get it. This was an incredibly bizarre game to watch live <laughs> because of all these reasons. Like watching watching them play and watching them make these honestly bizarre like a lot of these shots were just tough and you haven't even talked about like the the wildest shot of the game in my opinion yeah uh, we're gonna get there (laughs) we're going to get to like it it didn't like in retrospect it you have to wonder how did they do this how did they manage to do this against the warriors of all people but at the time it just felt like oh yeah they're they're really doing this again aren't they because this is it was to me almost a uh like a rerun or like a an echo of what they did to the warriors in the playoffs during the previous postseason in which the warriors just they just have a way with the warriors of making the kevin durant warriors play out of sorts and like play into their game and that's i mean that's why they went two of two and one against them in the regular season that's how they won this game because the Rockets just played their game and managed to do it better than the Warriors did. They both were playing this weird Rockets basketball, uh, and somehow it just works for them. And it it's, it was uh, exciting to see this, even as it was back and forth down the line, especially because, and that's the fun thing on a game like this, is that when a game is such is so lopsided earlier in the game, just being neck and neck feels like a big victory for the team that was down earlier. Uh, and that's what made this really fun to me, because even when they even when they were going back and forth, it felt more credible that the Rockets would win and the Warriors would win at the time, uh, because how much the the Warriors had given up to them and how much they were obviously frustrated by what what Harden was doing to them. Yeah, and again, it's not like the Rockets were playing great defense in this game. The the final score was one thirty five, one thirty four. Like they were just 
out shooting them, and not they. Let me let me let me change that. Harden was just out shooting them, uh, putting the team on his back and manufacturing buckets out of thin air, and it worked for this one night. I don't think it'd work in ten other nights, but it worked on this night, and it was just it was a, a spect it was a, it was a spectacle to watch. I mean, it really was. So again, tie game, forty seconds left. Warriors get the two-point lead with 40 seconds left. Uh, Har- James Harden draws a foul in the next possession to tie game. Now we get the moment of controversy. We get the moment where uh, Twitter loses it. 33 seconds left. Kevin Durant drives, gets the ball swiped out of his hands, saves the ball, steps out of bounds right in front of an official. Steph gets the ball, dribbles it, dribbles it, and makes the mid-range jumper. Did you see that live game? Like, Did you notice? Did you watch his feet to see if it went out of bounds? Oh yeah, I mean, I was watching with a with a bunch of people at the time, and we all were like, "Wait a minute, hold on, let's go back and look at that." And then, the, and then the broadcast went back and showed it because obviously they would. And this is one of the worst missed calls I've ever seen in basketball. Just incredible. Like it wasn't that it wasn't like he had a toe on the line. His foot was like a foot out of bounds. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how did they miss this? It's not even like one of those subjective calls where like it's a foul or a travel or something. No, this is his foot is out of bounds and his hand is on the ball. Like it's out. It's it's Rockets ball. And there was there's a ref three feet away from Kevin Durant. Like there's so many screenshots you can find online with the ref in the background of the play. And, and, And he just doesn't he just swallows the whistle. Uh, and the play continues on, and the, and the Rockets are losing their shit in the background. You can see the, the, their bench is just going out of their mind. I, I'll i be honest, in real time, again, I'm with a group of people. It's hard for me to focus with a group of people watching the game. Um, I, I, I noticed he was very close. It could have been either way uh, from first watch, and I don't think the broadcast noticed it. I watch, going back and watching it, I, I don't remember the broadcast noting it initially, but they did go back and watch it. And then noticed it, and they were losing their minds too. I mean, like it is legitimately one of the worst calls I've ever seen on television. Like, like it's, it's, it's historically bad. And and when you watch plays like this, you kind of understand why the Rockets have such a grievance with the officials, as particularly against games with Warriors. Like they just never get their fair shake against the Warriors. And it's not like a controversy thing. It's I, I just think it happens to be coincidentally some of the worst officiated games happen to be Rockets Warriors. Like they just happen to be always in the wrong hand of the wrong side of the officiating against the Warriors, and it it, it always it it usually ends up costing them. In this game, it didn't, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, uh, it was it was very good that this didn't end up being a bigger issue because the Rockets fans are a always in the mood to uh, be mad about about referees. Uh, However, like, and in this season, like, this was a, in this season, people are also especially annoyed about it. Like, I'm trying to rack my brain to remember what was happening in January, in like the New Year's of January uh, of 2019, but I feel like there was, a a lot of us were pretty riled up at the time. I remember that being the case. And like, this was just, before this game ended, and even after it ended, like Rockets fans were not happy with this one, and neither were the were the players. Understandably, though, I feel like the players were able to move past it fairly readily uh, for reasons which are going to hit, which were already obvious. But this was ridiculous. Like I, I am still angry about this call. 
like how could it po- how could this possibly not be reviewed how could this possibly like have nothing done to it this is i mean we go on about like the the dunk that wasn't counted right that's like kind of the the right now like the poster child for uh rockets anger at rockets fans anger at referees but this was just as bad i think because it should have been I, reviewable <laughs> i think this one's worse because like that that game you could argue like the rockets lost that game on by themselves like they were up like crazy they should have won that game they were not in position like this game the rockets were down like crazy fought like hell to, to fight to catch up and, and put themselves in position to win the game and they could have gotten screwed over by this call like th- that that's why yeah. this in particular like, i i i would understand rockets fans getting more mad at this call than any, any other call that's happened over the past few years except for maybe that a couple of calls that went that didn't go their way in the 2018 western conference finals but that that is another podcast all its own yeah like the 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 dunk one right the ba- the the not counted dunk you could at least see why it wasn't counted initially right like when it first happened it did it did look like it didn't go in until you look at it closely. This one, it was very, like, as soon as you see it, you're like, wait, was he out of bounds? Like, hold on, that looked like he was out of bounds. Like, initially, there was no point at which this should have been any any question whatsoever. And I, I don't understand how this happened to this day. I do not understand how this occurred. I don't get why this occurred. And I don't get why there was not more anger about this in general. Like this is, well, this just sucks. We, 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 we know why there wasn't anger, right? Because the Rockets, the, Ro- the Rockets won the game, right? Like if, yeah. if, if they, if they lost the game, that's all we would have talked about that night. And thank God they won the game. Cause I could not take a night of on Twitter about this call, even if it was a warranted I just I, it would have been too much. Um, I, I can understand why we didn't really talk about it at the time. You want to talk about the next play? <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll you take it away. You you take you take it around this final play. This this is the this play is perhaps the silliest play of the entire game. Uh, this is a play where James Harden decided what he, he's he was going to do is just go ahead and win this game, which he's been doing all game long. <laughs> this was the game. This was the shot in which James Harden took a three, double teamed. He was what, like twenty five feet out, something like that. He was significantly beyond the arc, and just dribbled right into two defenders and just nailed a shot over their heads. Like I don't even like he. This was incredible James Harden shit right here. Uh, he didn't. This is cold blooded James Harden shooting. He misses these sometimes, of course, but we like to forget that because when he I mean, does this, <laughs> he he missed this shot at the end of the fourth quarter, like to, yeah. to, to take the lead. He missed that shot. He missed a couple of these shots in that San Antonio series in that game. Everybody everybody talks about the game six, but the game five, he was missing endless amounts of these kinds of shots, uh, these step back threes. After people supposedly say say he was concussed, right? Like after that moment, he missed a ton of these shots. Like this is a shot he's missed in some of these big moments. And he he did not miss it this big moment. No, he didn't. Like he didn't even seem to have a plan B. Right? It just looked like from from get go, he's like, I'm just gonna do this. I'm just gonna nail this right in their faces, and we're gonna go home with this win. And that's exactly what happened. There was one second left on the clock after the shot went through, uh, and to put the Rockets up by one point. And then the Warriors didn't even get a good look. They, you know. They had to try to. They had to advance the ball as fast as they could, and it, there was not really even a chance. A totally crushing shot here at the end. Like, I personally feel like 
while oftentimes these shots that Harden takes are not exactly the most well-advised always, they're not exactly optimal basketball shots, but they're sure optimized for like spirit damage, right? Like it's, it's brutalizing to be defending, have two, have two hands in his face and he just doesn't even care. This is how you go out because James Harden decided that he was going to win this game and there's nothing you or anyone else on this earth could have done to stop him. It's, I'm really glad he made it. Uh, him making this shot did, in fact, it was the biggest favor the Rockets have ever done to the NBA's officiating crews, like you said, to kind of make them forget that error uh, and made this game a lot more exciting and a lot more worthwhile to have watched to see it end in such a bizarre and James Harden-like fashion. Yeah, I mean, just to put some context behind the shot. So Harden starts off behind half court. Like, so... <laughs> It's very clear the Rockets had designed this play for Harden because there's a bunch like PJ Tucker is really the MVP of this play. That's not James Harden, right? Like he is just like he is PJ Tucker's is going into overtime in this play. He's he is setting huge, blatantly illegal screens on Clay Thompson and Draymond Green to get. That's how you do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and by the way, you don't call that call. You don't call those screens late in the game. Like I, I totally agree with the official swallowing their whistle there. Um. Uh, he is he is running right into Traymon and Clay. Uh, the the first play the first play is just to get James Harden the ball. The first screen is just to get James on the ball. He, he gets the ball and then and then Draymond steps up from the help from the weak side. So you got Draymond Green, Defensive Player of the Year, coming up on you there. And Clay Thompson recovers, even though PJ Tucker set the screen, recovers just in time to get his hand in the mirror of James Harden. And Harden still hits the shot. It looks like he was trying to draw the foul as well. He kicked his leg out trying to draw the foul. You could have, you you could make the case that he might have been fouled on that play as well. But yeah, he 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 makes the shot. He's on the ground. He's yelling like crazy at Draymond Green. Profanities going left and right. <laughs> Broadcast crew is screw is zoning in on what James Harden's saying to Draymond. It's very clear. Uh, it's it's just a great play. I, I don't think I can name a better James Harden play than that in general, to be honest. Like, I, I can't think of a play in the playoffs that, you know, may, maybe, you know what? I'll take that. I'll take that back. There was that, there was that step back three that Harden took, uh, in 20, the 2016 playoffs over Clay Thompson, uh, to make it go to game five. But again, the Rockets were in no way expected to win that series. It was headed to a sweep. Harden saved it from not being a sweep, basically. Uh, that that's the only shot I can think of off the top of my head that's equal to this. But I thought this was the moment, the the point in time, uh, which he hit it. I mean, like this is where Harden's MVP argument was really g- going into full overdrive, right? Like he was having fifty point games left and right. People were talking about Harden on a nightly basis, uh, and he hits this shot, and Twitter just explodes. Like the most love I've ever seen for James Harden was after the shot. I've never seen as much love for James Harden from national media types after the, then after the shot. I it was it was an insane shot. Uh after the shot, Harden's just just telling his teammates to shut the hell up. We have one second left. Uh, yeah. He's like we're not done yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have one second left. Let's get this final possession. It's defended, close it out. Uh they they close it out. Harden motions motions to his teammates two-time, two-time MVP. Like he's like 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 as if he knows that uh, this was a very significant moment for him in that kind of in that kind of race. Yeah, this was uh, this is Harden at the height of his powers. Like this is this is during that ridiculous run that was just undeniable. Uh, this this is this game. I think 
is kind of peak Harden. He's at his most Hardeny. As I said earlier, you know, he having a bad first half and a great second half is extremely an extremely hardened thing to do. Uh, coming alive and single handedly defeating a team that he should not be able to beat is a super hardened thing to do. Uh, hitting a truly ridiculous shot in two people's faces and then shouting them down about it. This is this is Harden right here. This is the kind of stuff he does. He looks like he's asleep until suddenly he's just, he's killing you. Yeah. I. No, go ahead. This is a truly all-time Harden game. No, it is, 100%. Uh, I mean, this is why it's number one, man. This is why it's number one, uh, and this is why a lot of people suggested this. It is really a fantastic game to go rewatch. I had to go rewatch this because, again, I missed a, a, a significant chunks of it because I did not expect it to be close. I went out. I had to come back and watch it again. Uh, it was just uh, fantastic. It, it, was a, it was a great game. I mean... You mentioned him hitting the shot over two people. I mean, it's not just any two people. This is Clay Thompson, and this is Draymond Green, two guys who have been multi-time all-defense uh, teams uh, selections, and it was it was a cre- it was an incredible shot. It was an incredible game. Uh, Harden had forty-four points, fifteen assists, uh, ten uh, rebounds, two steals, one block. He was twelve of nineteen from the field, and he was. 10 of 23 from three-point range. <laughs> he took 23 three-pointers. 23.5%. Uh, Good Lord. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, what what a stupid game. What a stupid stat line. What a stupid player. <laughs> True shooting of 61%. That's, that's James Harden right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sixty-one percent. That's his. What? That's career average, probably. Uh, that's that's that that's that's James Harden. That's James Harden. Shoot, yeah, shooting forty percent, true shooting of sixty-one percent. Yep, <laughs> James Harden style. Yeah, incredible game. Yeah, this was this is really fun. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Oh boy! Right now, the main thing I have to plug is uh, the incredible movements that are going on all across this country to try to make this country a better place for uh, Black people in general. Keep up the good work; you matter, and uh, I love you. A uh, great plug! Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at SoMileyNBA if you enjoyed the show. Give us five stars on iTunes. Follow Forrest on Twitter at D U N O T S. Yeah, guys. Good night.